So we worked very hard for two months and then we released the program that was called the Smart Deal. And we were the first to give full transparency. No one was able to do that. In three months, we go from launching the product with zero money to one and a half billion. <laughs> Anthony Le Soignier, the French entrepreneur and co-founder of Swissborg, with over 1 million smart users actively investing in crypto assets. Swissborg, I am so excited. You are expanding beyond the European borders. I grew up in France. I had a talent for math, so I ended up doing an engineering school. I work in Paris. In Paris, I met amazing personalities. And then after five years, I went to London. To the core of uh, what finance is, we started uh, the company six years ago. In crypto, in an instant, I move money from Bitcoin to Ethereum to any other platform. If I have stocks, I can't transfer my stocks as simply as that. I need to sell my stocks, make a deposit transfer. It's painful. Trading is a zero-sum game. When you make your money, someone loses on the other side. When you lose money, someone makes money on the other side. What makes the difference is you lose the connection with yourself. You start to have a family, a house, a mortgage. And by the time you realize that you're in a place that you don't want to be, beside all the money you make, very quickly, you're going to come back to normality. You just go up in your standard of life. All the recognition you have with the title but inside nothing has changed you, you're trapped everyone is obsessed about money but if i give you a lot of money you're gonna experience things that you can never experience at the materialistic level people who seem to have done well on the kind of materialistic side of life and business investing then you realize that no amount of money will make up for things that you have deep inside of yourself and i have all the title i had an amazing life i was going out and etc but i started to feel very very lonely inside Why? Perfect. Okay. So I watched this, uh, it's, uh, you know, you browse uh, YouTube randomly. Yeah. Uh, and then I find this, uh, this appealing title and I click. And the guy say, I went to the hyperbolic time chamber in Bali and here is my story. So if you are a fan of uh, Dragon Ball Z, Right. Um, what the, the anime guys do, what the, the personas do is before they have a big fight, they need to train their Kamehameha. They go to this uh, very special chamber. Well, actually, if you spend one day, because the time, uh, there is a dilatation of time somehow, then you spend one year. But in the real world, it's only one day and you train yourself. So you, you get out and you're super, super hero. And there is a, a lot of good things that happen there. And actually, there is a guy that reused this concept in Bali. So you go between men. It's only about men. So I think there is uh, 20 rooms and it's a beautiful place. And you train every day, you do workshop and you connect a cycle of uh, men exchanging things together uh, to, to rise as, uh, you know, as human. It's true that uh, all the things that we do are very virtual these days. And they say, this is something that truly resonates with me. You say, uh, hard times create strong men. Mm. Strong man creates good time and good time <laughs> creates weak man. <laughs> so then the cycle repeats, right? And, uh, and he said, I think maybe we live in a, in a society where we're too comfortable and men are become a little bit weak. And in some sense, I think it's uh, maybe I don't totally agree. I think it's uh, yeah, there is a true polarization where we see extreme uh, entertainment, you know, uh, and, and this type of uh, I would say sign of not strength and then you have an extremely strong personality. So he's trying to replicate what hard times in this in this place. I think it, what he say essentially is uh, uh, you can't be inspired if you only watch your screen. You need to be in the presence of other very strong personality 
And this is this exchange, this true exchange at the very core of being with people, uh, not breaking the cycle of being with people all the time that will maybe sometimes help you to overcome some of the struggle that you have. And uh, then you reconnect, reconnect as well to, to some sense of there is not a blue pill. You're not going to watch a video and it's going to change your life. You're, you have to experience. So you go there for four months, uh, no, one month up to four months. And uh, there you spend time, you train every day. Uh, there is, uh, you know, there is uh, food, good food. Uh, you meet people. There was a Bitcoin guy. There was a trainer. There was a guy that was you know, managing stars in Hollywood. A different uh, background, and you you met together and you share your struggles as well. Because part of uh, the internet society never shared the struggles. They never really shared the path. We only discussed the, what's the outcome of the destination. But the most interesting part is the path. So it's sort of. Um spiritual place it's a manhood club kind of you know you go <laughs> all together are book up most of the time and uh, and they exchange i think the again the, the 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 message is just to say oh, can we can we connect beyond the screens and uh, be together and exchange at this level have you heard of the hoffman method uh the guy that is on youtube the that is uh, talking about health and stuff yeah so basically uh, because i've heard that like in the last month you know these things that you don't know exist and then you hear them once and then you see them everywhere or you hear them everywhere so basically i have two friends who told me about that and one is actually a vc in crypto and he was telling me you know like you go through these good times that create weak men and um lives in dubai lives the big life you know kind of loses himself here especially like doing the bull run And then despite, you know, buying a Patek or whatever, like all the kind of things that you might or might not do, but like, I'd say if you're maybe kind of younger and maybe you come from like a background where you didn't have much money, you're kind of more inclined to do that kind of things, yeah. at least in the beginning. And he realized that he was just not happy, basically. And I remember him like sending me a picture of his Patek and be like, hey, look, my Patek. And I was like, I'm super happy for you. It's deserved, congrats, you know? But like deep inside, he had this thing where he had to kind of like show it to his friends because he didn't feel happy. And then he realized. And and then when the tough times came, which is the bear market, he went on to do this, you know, Hoffman method. And I think it's one week thing in the UK. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a center like that too. And uh, you meet a bunch of like-minded people who seem to have done well on the kind of materialistic yeah you know, side of life and, you know, business or investing, but then you realize that everybody's the same and uh, that um, no amount of money will kind of make up for insecurities or things that you have deep inside of yourself. Absolutely. I think the, the number one mistake that I see in the world is uh, everyone is obsessed about money, but if I give you a, a lot of money, right, you're gonna, you're gonna experience things that you could never experience at the materialistic level. You're going to buy a Ferrari, a watch. You're going to go to the to the restaurant. Actually, I'm sure you know this guy is called Dan Brazilian or something like Dan that. Dan Brazilian, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. <laughs> the, king, the king of Instagram. Exactly. But you know, it, it's the, the paroxysm of materialism. But some, sometimes, you know, once you say, you know, I turn, I, I'm, I'm turning to spirituality. Why? Because if you go to the fucking best restaurant once, you're going to be amazed. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have such a good experience. Second time, it's good. Third time, that's good. But 10 times, it's become the, the normal double dish, right? So you say, there is 
something linear with any materialistic experience. There is the first excitement, but then it becomes very casual. So if I give you a lot of money without any purpose, I just give you and, and over to you. And it could happen if you invest in the coin in crypto, for example, very quickly, much quicker than anywhere else. Going to experience all these things, but, but they're not going to solve the, your intrinsic problem, the problem that are in yourself, right? Um, so very quickly, you're going to come back to normality. You just, you know, go up in your standard of life, mm. but inside nothing has changed. And the likelihood that the money that you accumulate this way, you're going to gamble it again because then you go, you want to reconnect with this thing of saying, okay, maybe that's my purpose. You want to feel become, something. Yeah. <laughs> I think there is a study that says that people who won the lottery, like a lot of money, they're kind of like the happiness that's, that they get from getting that much money that quickly lasts about six months to a year. And then after six months to a year, even if they didn't lose everything, right? Provided that they kept some or most of it, they return back to their baseline of happiness. Mm -hmm. And then they realize, oh man, actually like this thing that was, you know, a million or 10 million or 100 million that I was chasing all my, all my life and I got like that quickly is actually not the thing that's going to solve anything because I get back to the previous baseline, baseline happiness level that I had before even uh, receiving that money. Yeah. So ultimately, I guess my, the way I see this, uh, this puzzle to be solved is uh, you have to have a sense of purpose. And if you're smart, you make a smart decision the path that gets you to a purposeful life will make you money and not many struggle. That's the thing, right? So money should be seen as a consequence of uh, a goal that is much higher than money as a consequence. And just to finish on that, you know, as I told you before, the, we went on, the, on live together is I, I help as well some entrepreneur uh, sharing the journey that I have. And with this concept with someone that say, collect memories, not money, not figures on the numbers. I think that's, that's, that's sum up very well my philosophy of life. Do you think that's your purpose right now? Or do you think you have a bigger purpose than that? To help entrepreneur? Yeah, I think ultimately I, I'm a very optimistic on uh, the human nature. And I think we all have an immense potential. And I believe there is a there is different stage to uh, unlock this potential. And one of them is to meet people that inspire you. I don't think necessarily they give you the knowledge. I'm a strong believer that knowledge only comes with experience. But sometimes you read a book and this gives you the motivation to experience. It doesn't give you the knowledge. There's this famous movie that is called Goodwill, I think, something like this with uh, Robbie Williams. And uh, it's, it's with Matt Damon as well. He's a genius and etc. And, you know, they have a very high philosophical discussion and it's very tense sometimes. And, and the guy, the, uh, Matt Damon, is an orphan. He's a mathematician in uh, yes. Harvard, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. He's like yeah. a troublemaker who... Exactly. Yeah. But he, he, he was uh, actually he was a cleaner at Harvard or yeah. some kind of university, but he solved all the, the math problem. And he met the psychologist and he's helping him because he's an orphan. He has a lot of scares into you know, his, his life. And he said, look, <clears throat> it's not because I read Oliver Twist that I know what it is to be an orphan. I can have an idea that gives me a concept. But I will never know because I had never experienced that. I have loving parents. I think that's what life is about. Is uh, books hopefully do not do not push you to do very very strong experiences such as uh, being an orphan. But 
they push you or discussion, they push you to experience. And then with the knowledge, uh, with the experience comes the knowledge, but not the opposite. And yeah, I think uh, that's, that's how I feel the distance sometimes is people read things uh, and they think they know and they do not know. Because it's much easier to read something than to do something. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. And it's less scary because you don't risk failing anything if you just read about the concepts. And also it's what we do all our life when we go, we follow the traditional path, which is I go to university, I mean, school and university, you're just there reading stuff and that you can't really question because like the entire system, that's an interesting one actually, because, you know, we're taught all the economics from like Milton Friedman, which we both know is very different from uh, Austrian economics. That's the philosophy that's followed by Bitcoin, but we, we're being taught all these things and we kind of like don't even think about them or don't question them. And the philosophy classes, which when you mature, you realize, man, that's the kind of classes I should have spent more time on to question and think and understand where things come from. I found it lame, you know, like when I was 20 or 21, I was like, what is this? And also they make you read all these very ancient texts that in English, like, I'm like, I don't even understand anything, right? <laughs> but like, what does that mean? Like, is this uh, some sort of like a mental masturbation or, you know, like some things like that where when actually it's something that would be so helpful for life, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think your readings connect as well with where you are with your life. But coming back to school, you know, <clears throat> I think the, the great things with school is what is uh, what do you learn with uh, non-plan uh, uh, experiences, such as the interaction that you have with the with the friends that you met there, right? Uh, sometimes you have a teacher. It's not about the what it teach you uh, as such, right? With the with the specific class, but is is an inspiring person for yourself, right? It give you this energy, is a role model. That's an interesting one. Have you ever felt inspired by a professor? Because for me, for example, I was never, I was always, I mean, I was always the little, I want to say a motherfucker who is like, you spend all your life at un at school, right? You yeah. became a professor because you didn't even get out of school or in university, like in my master's I had done before, between bachelor and master, I had done maybe two internships, overall six months of experience. I literally had more, if I mean, the same, if not more experience as my professor who Yes, had done a PhD in Harvard, or, but like, I was like, I can't respect someone, back to what we said before, who didn't do the thing, you know? It's more like theory and... So for me, it was always very difficult to like, actually, I don't want to say that this, I disrespected them, but I was like, why should I listen to someone who never left university when, and I knew I wanted to build businesses, right? So who, who inspired you? Makes sense. Um, you know, I did an engineering school, so... So, who inspired you? But let's start. Who are you, right? <laughs> yeah, cool. Because, because my co-founder is like, oh man, you need to ask them who they are. It's, we do these nice trailers in the beginning where like yeah. you have the presentation, but like you, people want to know who you are maybe before we That's go deep funny. into conversations, right? Okay. So like, tell us who you are and, and then we'll go like through your okay. early life story. Okay. And we'll, we'll end up uh, at some point uh, in the school um, topic. Okay. Interesting, because when I was l listening to your podcast, I said, oh, I never asked well, who these guys are. So I said, maybe it's on purpose because they say, okay, do your research. We're going to jump right into it. So, but, so for me, it's more, for me, it's more, we do the trailer in the beginning and then I make the assumption that people read just yeah. the first line yeah. of the description, right? 
because I think people, yeah, yeah right. But he's been telling me a couple of times, ask them who they are, <laughs> because then it's also better even for the yeah, trailer yeah. and everything. So basically, okay. there we go. Cool. I'm so... changing things a bit. I'm tweaking <laughs> things a bit. That's perfect. So I'm Anthony. I'm uh, 38 years old recently. Uh, I'm a co-founder at SwissBorg. So what is SwissBorg? It's a wealth management, crypto wealth management company uh, based in Switzerland. Uh, we started the, the company six years ago. So it's not a long time, but it's a long time in crypto and mm. uh, still standing, still st standing strong. We have a million users. Uh, I'm French and I've uh, been, uh, been a citizen of the world since uh, my very young age. And yeah, yeah. Where are you from in France? So my mom lives in uh, Cannes, in south of France. Very good place. You grew up there? Uh, actually, I, I grew up all over France because my mom was uh, working for the government. She had promotion, very smart woman. And uh, then we traveled all over France. Yeah. So your mom was the breadwinner? Yes. Of the family. Very interesting, actually. Especially like if you think about even kind of older generation, our mm -hmm. first generation. How was it at home, basically, to have two parents? Mm -hmm. They're still together? No. Okay. <laughs> so how was it to have two parents and the mother is basically the, the person who is kind of leading the house? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I think as a, I don't know how you grew up as a, as a boy, um, but I think the father, they give you like a bar to met. And uh, I guess they are your first kind of teacher or master. And you, you, con you confront yourself with the dad. It gives you, at least that was my experience. And it gives you an objective to overcome. Say, so I want to be better than my dad. And it's true that, uh, I mean, my, my dad didn't work that much. Uh, and I think uh, from the very, you know, when you're young, especially when you're a teenager, you have a very strong opinion. So there's a bunch of his personality that I didn't connect it with because I wanted to be a strong man. I think, you know, man needs to, to lead the family and needs to be, uh, you know, the center of the family, the support system. Didn't happen, so I was a little bit rebellious uh, toward my father. But as I grew up and I, you know, I, I managed to, to be more successful in my materialistic life, then there is part of my father that was more a spiritual person, if you want, that I connected with. Yeah. Do you know why he never kind of deemed as important as you to make money and work hard? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say because uh, I'll be honest, I lost my father recently. Uh, and uh, didn't have the, the very, very, uh, let's say, strong connection with my father. Um, so, but it's still something, it's still a milestone in a sense for, I think for, for someone to lose one of his parents. It's, uh, it's you know, it, it creates something, it, sh it shapes a different energy in yourself. But look, <clears throat> the way I see life is, um, first of all, we have all different beliefs. Uh, I think in the society, sometimes we don't celebrate diversity enough. So sometimes you have to embrace diversity because it can teach you something about yourself. So most of the time as human, we, we position ourselves as teacher. Oh, I know better than you are. You need to, to listen to me. But actually I find that, and it was the first part of my life, but I find that the second part of my life is I, I save more of my energy and I say, could I be the student? What is in for me to learn? And when you turn this perspective, it truly changed uh, the way you approach life. Um, so it helped me in my sense. But to come back to your initial question, I think it didn't connect. Or if you compare life to a kind of video games where there is different level, 
for some reason, he had, you know, very difficult childhood and teenager life, and he, he gets stuck there, I think. That's my speculation, because we mm. never exchanged to the point where uh, I knew uh, for fact, you know, there was the, that was the case. But there's something that, stu that stays stuck in one level, and then you never beat the bus to get to the next level. There's something really compelling in what you just said before, which is kind of this idea that we are all, we all have our program and we see things only according to our program. And especially when we're younger and we're less kind of like open-minded, which is good sometimes because you want to have a strong opinion because that's what leads you to the next level. And maybe at some point realizing, oh, actually I was kind of wrong there. But really the fact that as quickly as possible, I mean, as quickly you can kind of understand that you are, everybody's run through a program and we see things with our own perception. And it's not because someone else is doing something differently or doing something differently that, that the society tells you that it's wrong. For example, it's not because your dad is not, you know, working super hard that he doesn't have a reason to do so, or that he might even, he could be happy doing so, right? And I think like the more then you, the more you go through experiences, both like personal in losing people or losing money or actually in the bad times that you start to like think differently and realize that actually there is another way to think about life and that you, we all kind of follow this kind of blueprint set by society. And it's very unlikely to lead us to kind of uh, enlightenment or happiness. Yeah. I think society uh, guide us into a very binary life where uh, I, I'm in chase for an outcome. And if the outcome doesn't come, then I was wrong. But ultimately, there is so many factors uh, that are going to actually play on the outcome. But most of the time is luck, right? And some yeah. people will say, I was a visionary. The funny thing is, is I'm crypto, right? And, and sometimes people say, oh, you're such a visionary. You were so early into crypto. <laughs> How did you guess that this technology? And I said, look, most of the people are outsiders. They feel so fucking rejected by society that to survive, they have to find an alternative. It's not really being visionary. It was an exit plan for them to feel alive again, right? And, and, and the coincidence is now it become this hyper finance uh, escape for fiat currency and it's coincidence. It's nothing about being visionary. So how do you go from being a kid growing up in France with your mother kind of moving around to basically being a visionary or being lucky, right? Or kind of like, because we always say uh, luck is uh, when preparation meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. How, what's the what's the journey there? Yeah. Look, so I grew up in France. Uh, I has a, a talent for math somehow, uh, and my mom sees it because you know there is still an exchange with teacher. And I was a true boy; like I didn't care about too much about you know being successful at uh, <laughs> at school. But my mom always pushed me because she's a mom; she cares. Uh, so I ended up doing an engineering school. And then after five years of studying engineer, I said, what would I want to do with my life? And I wanted titles. I wanted to, to chase something exciting. And I went to finance for 10 years. I work in Paris. Uh, in Paris, I had the chance to meet amazing person, uh, amazing personalities. But it was not exciting enough. So then I went to London to the, to the, <laughs> to the core of uh, what finance is. Uh, and I have all the title. 
had an amazing life. I was going out and etc. But I started to feel very, very lonely inside. True, you know, truly inside. When you remove all the layers of how much external approval that I get because you know I have a beautiful house, I have a job with a nice title. People say, "Oh, you're so lucky to work in finance." Uh, but inside, you feel very lonely, and you feel more and more distant with yourself. Why? I didn't connect with the people uh, that I was working with. I didn't connect to uh, the way uh, we were operating on a daily basis. I think I had a very naive vision of what business is and what finance is uh, uh, when you operate at such a micro level. And the way I always see finance was, uh, to me, was a beautiful tools for collaboration. I don't have the competence to do a podcast. I give you my money. Then you, you, can, you can use this money to work on a podcast and make po podcasts successful. And when you think about it, we need entrepreneurs to help um, to shape the reality of tomorrow, right? So and money, basically, finance and money is kind of like a, like a voting, right? And like you, you have a limited amount of it and you say, I'm going to vote on like this person or this industry because I want this to grow because I believe in that, right? Yeah, I see the Swiss side of yours, but <laughs> I would say in a more shamanic side, I think to me is the biggest tools for manifestation. You have time. That's the only unit that you have as human. That's the only thing that belongs to you. Most of the time, you're going to exchange this time for money. And then the way you, you decide to spend this money, which is indirectly your time, is going to manifest the future. If you, if, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, I call my mom and I say, mom, oh, there was no cell phone. Let's, let's assume there was some cell phone. Mom, I'm going to yoga tonight. She would say, why do you go to a cult? But then because of the work of a, you know, very hard entrepreneur, they help to change, to flip the perception. And, you know, now if you don't do a yoga class for a month, uh, you know, it's not good. So I think that's, that's why to me is uh, what we decide to do with our money. There is the selfish goal of having more money, but ultimately... When you look at finance, if we give all our money to Elon Musk, maybe we're going to quit this planet and we're going to live to Mars, right? But if we choose to invest in someone else, then we say, fuck Mars. We, we love this planet. We want to keep it. So that's, that's the way I see. So I you're saying you felt empty. Do you think it's because the other people there didn't share the same values as you? Or you think like probably a good chunk of them were similar as you, but it's just that the environment that's being created there just doesn't match like what it is to be a human. I think the system washed you. Uh, again, I, I truly believe that there is uh, a divine spark in, in every human being, right? We, we're not designed to do bad things. It's just uh, mm. what is called entropy. Entropy manifests at any level. Um, and what makes the difference is the time that is necessary for you to realize how you lose the connection with yourself. Because things accumulate. You start to have a family. You start to have a house, a mortgage, right? And all uh, accumulate. And by the time you realize that maybe you are in a place that you don't want to be, beside all the money you make, all the recognition you have with the title, how much the company tells you you're wonderful, you, you, you're trapped. Why do you think the society is built that way? That's the biggest question. <laughs> so then there is a look. I, I'm look at all these things from a from a different lens perspective. Yeah. I read different authors, uh, people that are very conspiracist, other that, that that you know are very materialistic. 
I think ultimately is life is a game. So there is a need for a very, very strong process only to help some to overcome the, the challenges because the life try to comprehend itself and it, it, it shouldn't be easy. Although, otherwise the game is boring and there's very little chance that life in itself will learn something. So my, my definition of life is we all units of understanding for life. So we all come from the same source and we are particular that needs to overcome different challenges. And if the challenges they are, they are too easy, life, the source doesn't, doesn't learn anything. That's the poesy I want to believe because otherwise you, you get to the rapid hole of saying, is it government manipulating us and et cetera. The matrix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and even if it's true, uh, I see it doesn't make people happy, I think, at the end when they go too far. So my poesy is, there is a reason, right? And you have to trust that this is a good reason. Is there a strong belief of the concept of destiny? destiny in your poesy. <laughs> yeah, I believe in destiny. I believe that uh, there is a specific reason why you're here. And uh, I think the, what we call suffering is how much you distance yourself from your path. But when you reconnect to this path, then this is when you're in, you know, synchronicity, happiness. I think that's the, that's the way it is. And, and it's normal as human that you need to, uh, you have this very clear path that is for yourself. And then you, you have to distance yourself because it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you have to play with it until you find out. So, so Destiny brought you to London to do finance and oh. kind of lose your soul there. <laughs> and then? Yeah, you know, Steve Jobs say uh, it's hard to make sense of things as they happen. Mm. But then when you look retrospectively, you say, that was right. I wouldn't have, this path was necessary. So look, if I want to be honest, before I create Susborg, there, there was a moment where I said, why, why did I make all these choices? Didn't make me happy. They take me a place where, you know, I felt a little bit like not happy inside. And I say, you, when you're at school, everyone say you have so much talent and look where you are right now. But reality is life needed to teach me something for me to become myself, a version of myself, because I was not myself in London. I was chasing something else. So what should people do let's say you are in your mid-20s yeah. and you really feel like you have this potential you're doing good grades or maybe not but like you really feel like you have this inner potential like to do great things but you're not at the right place mm -hmm. and you know it how should you go about it right do you you know are you patient with yourself and think like things are gonna come Do you just say, I'm going to try to do three things at the same time and see the one that I'm most passionate about, or maybe the one that fails and then I keep the other two? Like, how do you go about it? And how did you go about it? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't have a pre-built answer. I'm going to explain why. I think in life, and it's true in business, it's true in everything, it's how you do you change the perspective. So if you do a business, if you help, if you design a system that help people to change the perspective about something. So we talk about yoga, we can talk about ice bath, then you are in business. When it is with yourself, when you need to change your path and, and you clearly have identify because it's, it's not, it's not that difficult. You wake up, you feel shit. There's nothing that changed that. Uh, and you feel most of the time miserable. It's a clear sign. Something is wrong and need to be fixed. So this awareness, is enough in itself to know that something needs to be changed. But there is resistance. 
And this resistance is, I'm going to lose my job. I'm never going to find another job. Uh, maybe I, I don't have the best pay, but it's still pay the expense, you know, all these type of things. So I think what you need to do is really to change the perspective of how do you see these limitating factors. So then when it's come to practicing this uh, change of perspective, some people will read books, some people have to try things. So they, they, they find the inspiration to change their perspective by doing something else at the same time. Some people will speak to someone else. Some, some people will do, I don't know, they, they go intensely into sport, for example, or triathlon, or Ironman and all these crazy things. Ultimately, you need to find uh, an additional source of energy to change your perspective. The way I operate for myself is felt very bad in London at some point. Uh, and then I went, I say, OK, I'm going to use all my free time instead of going out partying. I'm going to spend a lot of my free time doing entrepreneur things. So I went to uh, startup weekend, go back as often as I can to my mom's place, meeting friends that were entrepreneur. And this is how I think it changed my perspective of saying, Okay, if I reconnect with these things, even if I lose everything that I have from a materialistic, materialistic perspective, I know I'm going to feel energized every morning. And that at some point, that's what matters the most because I convinced myself it's going to be the case. And it was okay, it was not easy, but the, it, it truly happened. Because the happiness will come from basically waking up driven yeah. in the morning and working towards a goal that matters to you versus all the external stuff that you think matters, but no one cares about because they're all struggling in their own life. People are just have time to take care about their own business, basically in their own life. Yeah. And you have to embrace uh, cycles as well, because you are going to change. Then the first month it is going to be amazing. And then you go back to true reality. So you have to, to really think they, again, there is no blue pills. That's a good one, actually, because I mean, we both know what happened in crypto last year. Mm -hmm. And I told you already, like I was a big Luna holder. I mean, I obviously had other cryptos, but we had Dokun on the podcast and then you get into this echo chamber and uh, I got massively wrecked on Luna. And after that, obviously you go through like the whole, I mean, I've been building businesses since I'm 23. So like the combination of all these things, like kind of like worked out really well, but at some point you have like a big failure it was, it was not my first big failure, but it was a really big one. And you start to think, am I stupid? Was it all just luck, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then you start to think, it's that moment where you're like, should I just stop everything I've done until now because I'm a fucking idiot? Or should I just like take some time to like love myself? Like even if not everything is good, like this cycle you're talking yeah. about and think about what are the good things I've done and how can I basically leverage that to like build the next thing? And this podcast is exactly that actually. It's, oh, we've had some really big guests. Some are in jail, some are not. We are like a decent sized community. I can take this thing to the next level. So my, my decision right then was like, I'm going to basically focus on three activities for six months, like nonstop work, work on three businesses and then see like what fails and what kind of picks up. And, and then a year later, like you basically interviewing like the biggest people in the space and all. And it's just that, right? And it's just, for me, it was more be kind to yourself and then like mm -hmm. just disappear from like social life for six months in the bear market, right? And try three things. And you know, you're going to hurt yourself, right? Because it's going to be tough, mm -hmm. but, I'm, but some good stuff might get out of it. And you have like this gut feeling of like, 
this is what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Look, to me, the, the process of evolving as human, you have to, to go through phase of surrender. Because we, you know, strong personality, they, you know, they become very strong. Mm. And life has to recall you. No, man, it's, uh, it's, uh, you can't be that strong. This, this leads us perfectly to the, I mean, we'll get back to the, um, you know, how you went from like traditional finance to Swissburg. But before that, it leads us perfectly to something we were talking about the other day, which is cockiness, <laughs> founder and investor cockiness, because yeah. that's, we've all been through that, right? Absolutely. Do you have some examples of like cockiness in your life and what you learned from that? Yeah, in my personal life, look, the <laughs> I have the tendency where people say, oh, you're too humble. And, and it's true. Um, maybe at some um, so aspect, but I'm, I'm very confident and visual at the same time. So <clears throat> when it's come to cockiness, Yeah, I think uh, more in my personal life, <laughs> at uh, at level of relationship, and uh, especially with women, how a man should be, you know, how much I know everything and you don't know anything, because I've, uh, you know, I went through all the process. I'm a successful entrepreneur, and, and you know, all these things. I think sometimes again, it's uh, it's you you push all your science and you don't leave place for feedback or to learn something, and inside you feel it. You feel it like, oh, I'm, I think it's sometimes what I call quirkiness is it's very important to have value and this should be your intangible. No, no one should jeopardize or change your value. But then sometimes you extend what you believe is your value to something that is, you know, it's just cocky. It's just, it's, it's just an opinion and trying to pushing the science to someone. And then you feel a little bit bad about it, but your ego say, no, you shouldn't feel bad because you define your thing. Do you have some examples about that? Yeah. About what your values are, how you deviated from your values because of cockiness and how it ended up? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure it's, it's the perfect example, but look, the, uh, when it was the bull market, I met someone. I was, you know, single, everything was good. The and, king of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not looking really for anyone, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, things come at the unexpected moment and you have to embrace them. Both ways. <laughs> that's the that's the difficult yeah. part. Um, so <clears throat> then we spent two years together. We're living together, and uh, now we're talking about kids. I'm 38 years old. I believe in strongly in family model. It's more than time to to have a family. And she say, "Look, if you want to have kids, I need to be married." And then I said, "Look, um, I don't need society to define my love." I don't need to, if I give you a kid, that's the, to me, that's the biggest commitment that I can give to anyone. And I don't, I don't like this idea that, oh, I need to get married and, you know, and then society will give me a paper that, that give a kind of testimony of my love. I don't need this shit. And it was very hard. I was very hard with this. Uh, Why do you believe so? I think is it, it because, is it because if things go wrong, you're more in trouble as a man or it's more like something that, or maybe, maybe, ah, oh, my parents divorced, so I don't believe in marriage. No, to me it's more, uh, I don't like when, I don't like the concept of establishment that oh, I'm going to behave because I'm married. I want to behave because I'm, I'm a man mm. and I'm embracing my word, my word in itself, like saying, I love you. I'm, are you going to be the wife of my kid in itself has so much, uh, power. And uh, I don't need anyone else to tell me that. 
but it's because I was only focusing on this part of marriage, of getting married is, oh, it's society, it's a piece of paper. And I think by, and I, I leave very, very little place for feedback and was very tense in our relationship because of that. But then, you know, you, you work on yourself, you work on your cockiness and you start to accept the other person perspective and you try to project yourself and you say, it's not about the paper. It's about there is an energy coming out from being married. Me as a woman, I feel like I'm protected. I feel you are going to embrace more uh, being there uh, and you're going to be 1% committed. And then I let these ideas came to me. And I do realize that actually, yes, if I truly honest with myself, maybe I was 99% in, but there was still 1% that in my the unconsciousness was saying, if things goes wrong, I'll always have an exit uh, door. And then, you know, now I, I, I propose we're going to get married this year at the end of the year. And, uh, and now, since I went to, to the process, I can say it's different. What made you change your mind? I think the acceptance of saying there is, there is someone that I truly love and being in a partnership as well is, is embracing other convictions beyond your own limitation. And I never thought as much uh, uh, about wedding or about being married that she does. So there is something for me there, right? And uh, I take time. I went for two days by myself, reflecting, not trying to force any thinking process, just to see how I felt inside with my body, with the energy, with this idea. And I say, look, you have to embrace the experience because only experience gives knowledge. And you... <laughs> Good one. And uh, yeah, and uh, I did it and I can tell. Yeah, it's changed. Now it's you feel like the real man that you were yes. thinking when you were a kid, right? You're like, um, I don't want to be like my dad. I want to be like the real man who's taking care exactly. of the, the household and protect everyone. And part of the deal, or you're probably going to feel even more that if you're actually married, then it's kind of um, official towards everyone that you are the yeah. man of the household, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 definitely, it's definitely good. We talked about founders' cockiness yeah. and counter-cyclicality, investors and founder cockiness. Do you want to develop on that? Yeah. Again, coming back to uh, uh, to this idea of cockiness, uh, the challenge of entrepreneurs. So I think we, we need to differentiate three categories. So there is an entrepreneur, there is the investor that actually invests with their money, mm. and the investor that invests the money of someone else. Mm. I think it's very, very important because when we talk about VCs, and, and, and there is different type of VCs. There is VC where people are employed, they are employee of the company, it's not their money. So then they respond to a, a different um, programmation and, and you know, uh, mindset. But for, for entrepreneurs, when you are at the top of the bull market, when everyone wants to, when your token is at the top of the top and when everyone wants to throw money at you, is I think it's the place where you need to, you have all the reason to be extremely confident, but this is the time where you need to create space for feedback. Uh, Did you manage to do that yourself? Well, I think so, to be honest, because I'm uh, I'm very hands-on with the team, um, <clears throat> so I work very hard with, uh, on the operation. And Swissborg has always been a, cont a contender in itself. We never played the biggest, the biggest league. Mm -hmm. We've always been very loyal to our model, very familial model. And and of course, there is always a better way to incorporate feedback. I'm I'm not saying that the feedback hits me right away. But when I see resistance, I'm very sensible to how people, even when you connect to the camera, I see there, 
body language, how they react, their energy level. Mm. And, I, and I'm trying to, to understand. And, and sometimes it's diffi difficult because when you're a leader, there is a place where you need to overcome the, I would say, the standard thinking process and say, no, I reject this. I, ex I, I hear you, but I disagree with uh, how you see things and you have to trust me. And there's a fine line between uh, bringing a team out of their comfort zone because this is your role. And for that, you need to overcome their limitation and being cocky and just not taking feedback when it's very necessary. And you are in a delusional uh, mode because you mm. need to be a little bit delusional sometimes in a good way to bring your team out of the comfort zone. But you need to be receptive to the feedback that comes out from this experience, not to burn yourself. So what you were saying is the message the other day when we talked about that was if we talk about founders, right? Yeah. Founders cockiness. The moment you should take feedback is the moment where everything is going amazingly well. And it's the moment actually you don't even want to listen to anyone because you were more likely to be cocky, right? And then when everything crashes because you have these cycles in crypto, in life in general, you're more likely to be looking for external validation because you feel like shit, right? Yeah. But that's the moment you should not listen too much to people because that's when you should kind of follow your guts and uh, and make your own decisions. Absolutely. And when you make, even when you listen to very successful people that really, really went through the ladder of success, they hardly teach you something very precise. They invite you to connect to yourself. They give you um, a framework for you to reflect on yourself, but they hardly push the science because they know how, how difficult it is to find yourself, to find your logic. Different path lead to the to, to same des the destination. So yeah, when you are down, when the, it's a bear market, you know, it's true that I think this is the moment where you need and, and you're very much open to feedback because you want, you know, to there's something wrong you want to fix, but this is the moment where you need to reconnect to the fundamentals, values, things like this. And from the investor side, it's very similar too. Like if I take my own example with the Luna one, it's a really good one. Like I thought I was not cocky, but I was cocky, definitely. Like, because you, you're basically dismissing anyone who is basically telling you, ah, you know, UST could go to zero. Yes, there is a risk of this spiral, but like the thing is so big, it's too big to fail, blah, blah, blah. You're kind of coping because you were not there early, all this stuff, right? So when you are doing amazingly well, and it's, yeah, you might have like, you know, felt or smelled something good early on. But as you said before, there's a big part that is luck, right? That's very important to recognize. But when you are doing really well, that's when you should listen to people. And I mean, when things are too good to be true, basically, you should listen to people and almost be a bit, um, I would say that. Contrarian. So contrarian in that side, obviously, but like almost be, um, well, I don't know the word, but anyway, so listen to people and think like, okay, I should be more careful. Whereas when you are in the bottom or like it's a bear market, everything's shit, people will tell you, don't buy this shit. It's going to zero, etc. Yeah. Like that's the moment you say, I don't listen to you guys. I'm just going to do my own thing. Exactly. And it's exactly the same as basically being a founder, right? Exactly. But on the investor side, yeah. what, what about the being investing? for others part, because you said like, it's kind of the third um, yeah. one to think about. I think the, the people that invest for, for the others, they are more copy traders in a sense, because look, 
have friends in banks, for example, right? They, they manage very wealthy people. And, uh, and sometimes we discuss their performance and their portfolio. What do you have? You know, do you have a Tesla? Do you have Bitcoin? You know, this type of uh, discussion. And they show me the, their portfolio and say, it's very boring. They say, yes. They say, do you apply the same logic for your own money? No, never. So that's the, the, when, you, when you go to the institutional world, you understand there is a bunch of rules. People fight to keep their job. They don't fight to, to make the best investment. The sad part is they possess a lot of energy of the world because pension fund, insurance company money. So all the money that we as individuals we spend and we give up to some people to manage actually end up being managed by part of these people and then it connect to what we say in the first place, which is we manifest together a future. And then there is all this, oh, let's do ESG and label and stuff. But actually, when you look at the, 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 even the VC world, the place for innovation and changing things is very little. There is a thousand apps that look like Revolut. Why? Because the guy is trying to keep his job. So he's never going to back a crazy idea or, or an individual is going to is going to back an idea that actually fit the model. And that's a little bit the shame of, um, yeah, what we see in the investment world these days, yeah. What's the problem of uh, venture capital? That's another theme I wanted to talk about, so let's go about it. Yeah. Swissborg has no VC money, right? That's true. Why? Let's, let's, let's just go through. Yeah. You go from London in investment bank and yeah. then to the Swissborg story, and then we talk, talk about basically how you grew Swissborg without VC money, and then we get to the VC topic. Sure, sure. Because that's a really interesting one. So I quit London, go back to my mom's sofa. <laughs> so, but it was, it was not hard at the beginning, to be honest. How old were you when you went back to your mom's uh, sofa? Uh, 28. Okay, I think we all do that at some point. I was 26, went back to my yeah. parents for like a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was it 28? Yeah, or 29. Anyway, so um, yeah, so I'm there. Um, you know, I run every morning, these type of things and et cetera. And I'm very much focusing on a, a new company. So create a company with someone from school. Uh, it lasts for five, four years. Success down, you know, classic entrepreneurship story. I learn a lot about myself. I don't make money, but I learn a lot about myself. And four years after, I'm back to my mom so far. <laughs> and... Uh, and in the company, because we create a company, the company is then buy by another company. What general. was the company doing? Um, pretty much the same as Swissbox, but with no crypto. Um, so we were um, running investment strategy for retail. Because 10 years ago, it was not that easy to... So sort of robot advisor, exactly. long-term, yes. diversified, low fees, exactly. index funds type of, for yeah. retail people. Type of, with some alternative strategies as well. Went back to my mom's place and there was one guy in the company uh, that, so we create a company, the company is purchased and, um, and in the company that purchases, there is a guy called Andrew that's now, that is now working for Swissball. So that's the funny story. And, uh, and the guy calls me and he say, oh, did you follow Dash? Because Dash is the next, next Bitcoin. And I was always very skeptical about Bitcoin because I come from uh, an investment background. So I say, this stuff is going to be regulated, it's going to crash. And, you know, at some point, Bitcoin crashed because of China saying, oh, we're going to ban Bitcoin. So I never really uh, get any interest into digging deeper. I, I went to the surface level, face value is never going to be regulated, it's never going to work, right? As simple as that. And the funny thing is, 
when I was um, with my company, I went to conference in Berlin about finance. And I don't know how I end up into a small room with a small guy, a small committee and a guy doing conference. And he had at that time a crypto exchange. <laughs> and he went to me because we were so little people at the end of the conference, maybe because I was the youngest and he, he was pitching me his idea and couldn't understand anything. So I completely ditched the idea. Uh, but anyway, so Andrew calls me and say, you have to look at Dash. Dash is the next Bitcoin. I say, okay, okay, I'll have a look at it. So that's the first time I connect to CoinMarketCap uh, in my life. And then I tried to buy Dash and it was impossible. So I give up. 2015, 16? Uh, 2016, end of 2016, yeah. Uh, I give up. And then he called me one week after and he said, did you buy it? Because it's the price has doubled. I said, okay, bear <laughs> okay. with me. I'll, uh, I want to know how to buy this. I'll look into this. <laughs> I'll take it seriously. So I remember I, I went to this website that was called lightbit.ue, based out of Netherlands. So you, you send the money from your bank account and then you wait for three days. And you hope. <laughs> and you hope. <laughs> and then you receive some Dash. I buy Litecoin. Ethereum was $4 or $3 back then. So I started to buy some Ethereum. I didn't have much money, so... I don't know, I'm not a massive Ethereum holder. Yeah, and so I went for the full speculation and then it becomes a game, right? You, you start to connect every day to CoinMarketCap. Uh, and uh, yeah. Begin, beginning of the addiction. <laughs> beginning of the addiction. And then I, I want to understand, I say, why do, does, does it move? I understand stocks. There is an expectation of a revenues and stuff, but what's the drill here? And then I start to look at Ethereum and et cetera. And then I go to the rabbit hole and I find it magic. So. At that time, I had the chance to have a very good friend of mine, Cyrus, the, the CEO of, of a founder that is in Switzerland. How did you meet? We met when we were 18 years old. Uh, Doing what? Just partying. Oh. <laughs> Where? Through friends. Uh, the first time we met, I think it was in Monaco. Nice. A nice club. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the funny part. Uh, we, we don't come from rich family. It was just, you know, a thing to do when we were in South of France. So. Yeah, he was on the podcast and the first thing he was saying, he was, I'm a nouveau pauvre. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah so, okay. So, um, and it was in Switzerland. In Switzerland, <laughs> that, was the, that was the bedrock of crypto back then. Ethereum was foundation. Foundation mm. uh, was newly installed there. Uh, and there was an ecosystem that just uh, was uh, popping massively. Regulation was there, you know, there was a, a bunch of positive things. And then I remember Melonport, which is now uh, Enzyme, released their first white paper, raised two million instantly to a, to a crowdfund, so it was ICO. And, and yeah, and then we went to meetups, and then we went to the crazy idea of saying, okay, let's... Uh, so you were going with... Cyrus to meetups. Cyrus to meetups. And, and then, uh, long story short, a year after we raised 50 million through an ICO. 2018, early, right? Yes. Just before the crash. Just before the to crash. To the bear market. To the bear market, yeah. And then, you know, we, uh, so we raised a lot of money, 50 million. And then we start to hire a big team. And then we start to develop the technology. You never raised from VCs. Yeah, so we, ne we never raised from VC because, to be honest, uh, no VC would have backed us back then. Then come 2020, 2021, 2022. So we start to make bigger amount of revenue, 150 million. So, of course, when you look at um, companies such as Bitpanda uh, that are in Europe, they, they are very much with uh, VC. 
valuation of 4 billion, they raised a lot of money. We didn't play this game because we were obsessed by making uh, the business and as well the token successful. And I never really connect with VC because there were, I, there's, I don't, again, I, I don't want to use label because VC is a, is a single label to describe a very large spectrum of people. But let's say in the vast majority, I don't agree with the way they invest. And as a consequence, I have a hard time to, uh, because I don't agree with the way they, they operate, I have a hard time to, to pitch them the company. As simple as that. They don't connect with what I, the way I see value into SwissBorg, they don't see the same way because we, we basically don't look at the same metrics. What do you look at? I'm extremely obsessed with loyalty. I think, <clears throat> again, it's, 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 it's as well, um, I think it corresponds of the vision that I have for the world where technology, the barrier to entry to create technology is going to just go down. It has gone down massively. Uh, I was listening to a video from Y Combinator, for example, and when the guy is starting his uh, company on the internet, he says, I spent 40 million, and I raised 50, I, sp I, I spent 40 million into infrastructure and server. Most probably today, the cost would be 100K mm. for the same, uh, to operate the same uh, platform. Just the reality of any you know, development. So I think we, we are going to end up in a, in a world where developing any platform is going to go down, AI, you know, bunch of uh, reasons why. So what will be left is brand and loyalty and communities. That is going to be the value of any business. So if you just create a platform that is there, that is you know, simple, but has no uh, emotional connection with their community, especially in crypto where I can transfer my Bitcoin right away, it's completely changed the game. Think of the game of web to companies. I'm creating a Revolut. There is barrier to entry for any competitors to come because if I have an account with Revolut, I have their credit card. If I have stocks, I can't transfer my stocks as simply as that. I need to, re to sell my stocks make a deposit back to another bank account transfer, it's painful. In crypto, in an instant, I, I move money from Bitcoin to Ethereum to any other platform. So you, you have to find for a different paradigm. And reality is the VC they have and not updated their mindset. And the result of that is you see stupid valuation, massive fall down, and ultimately that's the money of the people. It's not their money. You said the VC model is failing. 100%. Why? It's just, it's, it, it is not connected. They don't know how to measure value, the new value. We haven't, and, and, and I can't blame them. It's just that we haven't, even the, the scientists or the economists of this world, they only measure value by money. So let me give you an example to illustrate that. You take two countries, right? One is selling encyclopedias and the other has Wikipedia. Judge by GDP, because I'm selling encyclopedia, I'm more wealthy. Wikipedia is free, or it's not free. There is an exchange of data, mm. but it's not truly incorporated into GDP unless there is some, you know, monetary exchange at some point. So, will you say that because you have encyclopedia, you're more evolved than if you have Wikipedia? No, obviously not. But we don't, as a society, we have failed to reinvent models that truly measure what is value. And value is much more than money these days. Do you have examples of kind of the tech wave and how some VCs behave that was, that validates what you're saying? Yeah. The, the first example is, uh, I think we discussed in length about it is, uh, 
In the US, 50% of the companies are not profitable and they are listed. Are not profitable and listed. And listed, right? Yes, sorry. There's... Why is that? Because there is, you, you... I'm a VC, right? I'm doing my Excel spreadsheets and I say, <laughs> okay, if they do this I much love revenue. The, entrep <laughs> the entrepreneur is like, <laughs> I can't see the entrepreneur. <laughs> It's like, uh, the, it's like the token economics. Oh, I'm going to solve my business sorry. by doing token economics. No, it doesn't happen this way. It's part of it, but it's not the entire reason why you want to have a crypto startup. So I do my little spreadsheet and I say, okay, if I push these guys to make this much revenue, even if they lost all the money that we invest, then I know I can sell these stocks to someone else because I'm not interested in uh, into forging a good business. I'm more interested into my turnover. And then, you know, I, I give to another VC that give to another VC. And at some point, the last VC is stuck. He said, okay, I can't, this, the business is so big. I could not sell to anyone else, right? So now I need to do an IPO because this guy doesn't understand anything. So I think that was a pivotal moment into the IP world. And it came with Snapshot. Because before Snapshot, <clears throat> um, it was unbelievable. It was not conceivable to list a company and having the prospectus, this company does not earn money and might never earn money, right? And the guy tried. They say, we have Snapshot. <laughs> We're investing all our money. We need to get back money somewhere because now the business is too big. No one wants to, in the uh, institutional world, no one wants to buy it. You know, it's not making money. Okay, let's try to IPO. Will the regulators will accept? Will the public will accept? Because ultimately it's demand. And they try, and what it was happened? accepted. What happened? IPO, and it, it works, right? The the stocks goes down and it goes up, and and why is that? Why is that even possible? That's a good question. So now we, when you look, you have to question yourself: What's the role of the regulation? What's the role of the establishment to let such things happen? Because what does it create is a blueprint to say, oh, now it, it, it went once. So now we open the, uh, an entire new world to list any companies that will not be profitable. So our only way we say, but don't worry, we're going to acquire this one and 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 it never works. So now we end up in a society where 50% yeah, of the company listed into the American stock exchange, NASDAQ and the others are not profitable and most probably will never be. So become, you know, people make fun of meme of crypto, but meme already exists into the traditional world. Because if you can't make money what, what, as a business, you, you're just a meme. So the, there's many things that need to be fixed into the way we operate our financial model, monetary policy, but VC has a lot of responsibility as well uh, with the way we design value into the world. And then we measure with accounting model. Right. And we say, oh, if you make this much revenue, this is your valuation, even though you lose money. And we never debase the injection of money that was made. And we end up doing business that does not really make sense. The best example that we have recently is WeWork. Right? WeWork is a, is a great yeah. story. Yeah, it's a, a great story. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So <clears throat> I think the role is to come back to more fundamental values. But maybe kind of like thinking or brainstorming out loud about what happened and how, why it's possible. Basically, you had like, crazy amount of money printing, which continues to happen and will continue to happen. Very low interest, ra interest rates. So investors not really knowing where to put money, putting money into growth, VC, startups. And then 
this the VC game. You know, what's the VC game? It's, oh, I do a serious seed. And then I try to get some other VCs, as you said, like buy a bit higher. And then, you know, in series A, and then you have the series B and then you have series D. And then at some point there's a snapshot example where how is that even possible that they go public if they even say that it might never be profitable because Wall Street makes money, is the ultimate kind of winner every time because every time there's an IPO, they make money. Yeah. And probably it's so strong, their lobbies that they can probably go to the regulators and like one way or another make this pass. Mm-hmm. And then who gets dumped on? The retails who, like, as usual, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Let's be fair as well. I think um, uh, entrepreneurs, they have big responsibility here as well. Because I, I, what I'm saying is not easy. The reality is you should accept money as long as it's aligned with your value as well as an entrepreneur. So I think it needs to be a two stream ways, right? As, and it's hard, right? It's like when you have an interview, you pitch very hard to have the job. And sometimes I say to the guy, okay, you pitch me very well. I'm going to pitch you now because you need to be in the conscious process of not forgetting it's two way stream, right? You're going to, you need to, to pitch you. Of course, that's the game. You need to pitch me, maybe more than I need to pitch you, but you need to project yourself into the job because, you know, we need to grow out of this expense together and <clears throat> entrepreneurs, they need to be courageous and say, yes, that's cool that I play this game where I create this company. I become a little bit the you know, the guy that the VC used, but I'm accepted to, to be used because I'm going to make a lot of money. And, and you end up, you know, doing something completely different from what you end up in the first place. You just look at your spreadsheet. That's the only reason that drive your business. And maybe you, you miss the, the, the point, which is the human adventure as well. You know, I know people that sold their company because they were in this money game. And they, they sold that for a big amount of money with all 50, 100 millions. And now they are in, they are in the endless uh, search for a purpose. They never find anything. They need to go to this Kamehameha Center in Bali. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they need to listen to this podcast and go to this Kamehameha Center. <laughs> so look, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> like the guy, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I, I'm actually very neutral. But I read his biography, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's one of the biggest entrepreneurs of, of this decade, of this uh, past ten, uh, 20 years. And, you know, it was 23 and Yahoo wanted to buy uh, Facebook for 4 billion, right? And the VC came to him and said, look, you're going to be the billion, uh, the, the most young billionaire in the world, right? You should accept because it was saying no. And the... Imagine the pressure, the VC pressure, the early employee that say, are you fucking crazy? Mm. Four billion is a lot of money. You should accept. But that, but because that's the game. VC doesn't breed winner to have company forever. They bring guys to be either IPO or purchased by a bigger group. That's it. Mm. And the guy and, and one of the guys say, come to him and say, look, Mark, you're going to have one billion. You can do everything that you want. All the crazy idea that you have in your life, you can make it happen. And he look at the guy and say, but maybe Facebook is my best idea. And I will have never a better idea than Facebook. And I'm not selling it because of that. I think the story there is, um, he was talking about a few really hard moments in Facebook story mm-hmm. and how even his key executives that he trusted so much 
left him in those moments because they couldn't understand yeah. why the dude w would not sell and they wouldn't basically cash in now. Yeah. And I think you have to respect him for that because he played very well the game. Let everyone think he was, you know, well, somewhere like anyone else, money will buy him. And he played the game very well, collect all the money to make this vision happen. And they said, no, guys, I'm here to stay. And, uh, and that, I think we, then we can discuss about Facebook, you know, how good it is or not. But uh, for mm -hmm. me, it doesn't matter. We need more entrepreneurs that are not ready, that can change their perspective and say, if I don't take the money from the VC world, I find something else. And I think that's something that we've done very well with SwissBot. We came in a very honest manner with the community. In return, he created loyalty and trust. We raised, uh, so we raised 50 million. We raised this year 24 million across um, 50, uh, sorry, 17,000 people across the globe. At the worst of the worst of the bear market. Mm. Because people see that we, we deserve to exist, at least to have a, a counterparty, an imbalance of power into the crypto world. They are going to make money. They made money with the token. Maybe it's not going to happen as quick as if you go for something else. But I guess with money, we can look at money, say one million is, is called one million. But the way you make this money for me matters a lot. We talked about before about the, the VC game that is kind of incentivizing entrepreneurs the wrong way and founders the wrong way. And last time we also talked about why Swissborg is still alive. Mm -hmm. And you basically explained me why, because I asked you how, what's one of the key reasons? I mean, obviously you said, I think you were the one who's kind of like doing sort of risk management and some sort of key decision in Swissborg about what you use as products and not, and like, do you increase your interest rates or yields when the competitors in 2022, they're all much higher because you see, you know, the AUM yeah. going down a lot. Yeah. So explain us kind of what happened and why Swissborg is still alive. Yeah. When all the, the kind of competitors or even much bigger companies in the lending space and the kind of, you know, CFI exchanges, most of them went bust mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how it's linked to basically VC money. Yeah. So it's, it's a very good link. Um, Look, the, <clears throat> I think as human, right, uh, as long as we, the reality can accommodate our short-term reality in a good way, we have, um, we have a capacity for acceptance that sometimes is, is too much. The best example that we have is slavery. It's an extreme example. Now these days we say, oh, beside the fact that maybe it exists in some part of the world still to this day, but for most of the people that would be not acceptable. But there is a time of history where it was acceptable. There was something that was accepted. Why? Because they accommodate some of the people to say, but it's normal. So if you see someone having a slave and you are in a position where you can possess one, then you will say, okay, the, the, guy, the other guy say that it seems that it's nice. Let's, let's do the same, right? And you don't ever question the reality. And that's what, that's, that's what saves us from, uh, I think, from from the VC, the fact that we are not backed by VC saved Swissborg, to be honest, because when you look at what happened, so let's go back in history. It's 2020. We launched up a year before the market was not great. And it's the end of 2020, the market started to be 
like these days. Like it, it reminds me what happened today reminds me so much of what happened at the end of 2020. That's why uh, we came both here. We showed up with a big smile on our face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So what happened is Bitcoin break up. You know, um, the, there is a moment people have been building for two years as well. The same as now, right? Very tough. We are out of, uh, I mean, we are at the end of the very tough bear market. Only people with a mission are staying. They've been, they've built very hard. And we start to see the fruits of this building and it, it manifests into DeFi. So what happened as a result is the market become more optimistic at Swissborg. We, because we've been there for now more than three years at that time, we, we start to identify, oh, the biggest opportunity is going to be manifested into DeFi. 2020 summer, right? Yeah. yeah. 2020. And then we, um, uh, yeah. And, and, and then we understand as well that there is. People love passive income. There is an elegance to it because it gives you this predictability. Mm. Bitcoin is, for me, is a, is a beautiful asset. Ethereum is a beautiful asset. But to accept the stress on the very short term daily, if you don't have the discipline, it's very hard for most of the people because they already struggle with their life. They don't want a, an extra source of stress. Yeah. Um, so passive income, I put money every day. I receive a very, very uh, accurate amount of money I can predict. It's, it's a very good entry point for anyone that is trying to invest, right? So we understand that and we say we need to build a passive income product, earn product. <clears throat> Most of the other competitors, so Celsius, uh, I don't know, you name them, Voyager, BlockFi, all these guys, they, they understand the same. But what they do is they use crypto as a payment or as an asset to invest into traditional finance, into traditional credit, finance, leverage stuff, right? With Swissbox, we say we don't want to play this game because uh, even though we are a centralized exchange, it's for UX purpose. It's in terms of adoption. It's not because we believe in, in the old school way. We believe in transparency. So can we build uh, a passive income program that is actually truly built out of DeFi? So we, we worked very hard for two months and then we released the program that was called the Smart Yield. And we were the first to give full transparency. So you go to the blog, you know exactly where the money is invested, and mm. etc. No one was able to do that. And it's the beginning of DeFi. So the, the, the yield are just amazing. And in three months, we, we go from zero, from launching the product with zero money to one and one and a half billion, a little bit less. In assets under management in for assets. this product. Yeah. So it become a massive success. Yeah. And, and there's a ripple effect into the entire Swissborg environment. The token goes up, it goes mm. from 10 cents to one and a half dollars. So everything is, is blossoming. But of course, it's the beginning of DeFi. So then the DeFi start to normalize and go back to more normal yield. So for example, at some point on USDC, we have 40% yield, mm. which was crazy. Paid in USDC? Paid in USDC. Okay. So wow. it was amazing, right? Yeah. It was making the buzz and it was transparent. So it's not like, oh, it's a promotion or something fancy. No, it, you can verify it by yourself. And then gradually, but because we do all the task of analyzing the smart contract, uh, managing the funds, uh, paying the gas fees, that was extreme at some point. So if you have a small amount of money, you can't do it yourself. So that was a great market fit. Then the, the USDC start to go down, 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 down. So we, we go back to the range of eight to 6%. And the other that are still at 15% because they see the opportunity. 
So Nexo, Celsius. Yeah, Nexo is in different place because they see it here. They, they use traditional finance, but they have a great model because they, they didn't collapse. But the other, the other guy, Voyager, Celsius, you know, FTX, all these guys, they, they, they offer amount of crazy amount of money. And we don't play the game. We play the game with transparency. And we try to educate people by saying, but people say in the foyer, you guys, do the, you are great, but you don't know what you're doing anymore. Because others offer better yeah. yields, so we'll take our money and go to the others, yeah. like do chasing yields. So then we, from one and a half billion, we go back to 300 million, something like this, because they see people that understand, they understand the, the, the thing. How do you feel at that moment? Yeah, Because you are the one making the decisions. Yeah. And how internally did you justify to your co-founders? Because even though you don't have VC pressure, there's yeah. people internally who say, hey, we had 1.5 billion, now it's two or 300 million. Like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? And what are we doing, right? The others, they're still offering higher yields. How do you justify that? Yeah, it's difficult. I think the, the team has a great confidence in what I'm doing. And when I say it's not possible, we're going to put the, the, the company in jeopardy and in risk that we don't want because it becomes very asymmetrical, meaning <coughs> when things normalize, that's what we leave with uh, government bonds at the moment. But it's another story is it becomes you take so much risk to get the extra percent that, you know, it's, it's not going to end up well. So internally, it was not a lot of uh, headwinds or fight. There is questions. There is you know, of course, the people that are uh, distant, they are in business and they receive offer from, you know, we had the offer from Celsius, Triaro Capital. There was pressure internally, for sure, right? Sometimes to go, but... What do they offer exactly at that moment? They say, give us the, the money. We give you 12%, 30%. You can offer to your to your user that they call clients always. And, and you know, and they say, we're in business with everyone else. Why you guys have so much resistance? So of course, as an individual, I question myself a lot. So I start to go and I start to imagine, okay, maybe I can do uh, future arbitrage, but then, you know, it, it, it requires a different level of complexity at the operational level. It was a little bit of a shitty time for me because uh, I was spending so much time trying to figure out. And, uh, but yeah, I get a lot of knowledge as well. But at that time, I think the, 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 the the point of the discussion is beside the malpractice of um, all these other company, I think if we had VC internally, they would have pushed us. They say, you guys fucked up all the money I invest. You have to change your game. You don't understand. So they would have not trusted us enough. They would have trusted the other guy because look at the other guy. They were all shiny title. I've come from Citibank. I come from this. I've done all these things. And Our valuation is... Four yeah. billion, five billion, exactly. thirty billion. You have to you have to match the curve. You guys uh, doesn't follow. So, so that, you so you would have had to play the game like the others if you had VC that, money. That's the crazy part. Technically, no, because that will be very unlikely that the other VC will possess a majority stake in the company. But when you feel the pressure of your community, maybe internally Everyone, as well, you can divide yeah. people. Maybe will have made this choice. I'm not too sure. But I'm going to tell you something that I noticed, and, and that's the part that um, gives me even more confidence. I start to look at the people that were managing the DeFi money into the other companies, right? That were making decisions. Mm. <clears throat> and I look at these people, and most of the people that were coming from Google, Facebook, or payment company. Because let's be honest, the investment, so what we call the wealth tech, 
So the company that actually invests the money of the people into finance, they are very new. The fintech world is majorly populated with payment company. So if I create a payment system and I say, okay, I'm, I'm doing this uh, euro payment, whatever. If I have 10 or a million clients, it's going to be the fucking same. So my game is to put the technology together and then scale it as fast as I can to scale blitz the market. When you do investment, there is not a linear. So of course you need to, when you do payment, you need to improve your technology, but there is a very rational path. How you scale, you scale the business, you scale the technology, you make more money. When you invest, there is not such a thing as linearity. Maybe you, you make 10% when you have uh, 10K to invest, but it, when you have 1 million, it's, you can't invest the same, right? And the same with when you trade derivatives. So nothing that you can do with investment is linear. But everything that was on paper, that was scaled by these guys, uh, was uh, seen as linear. So now you hire someone from a payment company and say, scale my business. Because that's what VC do. They, mm. they go out there, they do their shopping with companies that have scaled before. They go to the Revolut guy and say, okay, this guy have a boss. Is never, I'm going to hire this guy, make him boss in the company. That's how I'm going to attract him. And say, scale my business. But you can't scale investment. Because investment at every step act differently. You don't manage 1 billion the same way you manage 10, 10 million yeah. and et cetera. And when I look at that, I say, okay, these guys are going to scale the business like it was a payment company business and they're going to fail. And that's what happens. And it's, it's very painful because as a business, as a very, uh, I think, very strong business such as SwissBorg with very, very strong value, we suffered because we didn't play the game uh, as the others. So we lose a lot of users. And we didn't get them back because they lose all their money with the other. And then we suffer a bear market with a lot of uh, uh, bad talk about what centralized exchange are, uh, while they are, not, they are very different in nature. So yeah. Yeah. I want to introduce a concept here, free rider. So the other day we talked about that and I was looking for, in French, we say passager clandestin, basically the free rider concept in economics, which, and it's completely linked to both investors thinking short-term and businesses thinking short-term, right? Mm -hmm. Which doesn't benefit the kind of greater picture. So a free rider is someone who wants others to pay for a public good, but plans to use the good for themselves. If many people act as free riders, the public good may never be provided. Markets often have a difficult time producing public goods because free riders attempt to use the public good without paying for it. And this is exactly what happens in crypto. I mean, in markets in general, but crypto is kind of exacerbated, right? Yeah. Because you will always have these people who know that this thing is a Ponzi or this thing is a Ponzi, but I participate because I can, I'm short-term thinking and I'm yeah. smarter than the others, right? And it applies both for like the VC game where they might just understand the whole game, but oh, if I'm early enough, see deal, you know, whether in crypto or in traditional market, I can sell to the deal, you know, Series A or Series B, you can kind of like unload or the investors, right? And you talked about the other day, you said like something that is so important for you as a person, but also for Swissborg as kind of like a, your values is this notion of kind of public good, yeah. right? And, and, and building long-term thinking into people. And it's completely linked also to the concept of zero-sum game and positive-sum game. Absolutely. Which we always, we often say trading 
is a zero-sum game. When you lose, make your money, someone loses on the other side. When you lose money, someone makes money on the other side, right? Whereas investing is kind of more of a positive sum, uh, sum game. Absolutely, it is. Which, which I have to, and I had this discussion with the other day with a friend, is investing really a positive sum game? In theory, yes, but then I'll let you like develop on that. But in practice, when you look at what happened last year, <laughs> I am 50 years old. I think this Bitcoin and ETH thing, I think this crypto thing is going somewhere. I buy every week. Just Bitcoin and ETH or just Bitcoin because I don't really understand, but I know, you know, I want to accumulate that over a long term uh, dollar cost average, which is uh, how, do, how do I outperform the markets in general in any kind of market? I just do that, right? And then I keep this Bitcoin in because, you know, cold, cold wallet, like I'm 50 years old. What the fuck is that? Like, I'm going to keep my money in this FTX thing or this Celsius thing that is backed by, you know, hundreds of millions and pension funds. So I'm basically doing the right thing. I'm investing. I don't try to trade. I have a long-term thinking. I vote with my money and then I still get destroyed. Mm -hmm. So can you elaborate on kind of this free rider concept and then the positive sum game versus the zero sum game and how we can, how we can, and I don't think it's even possible, like at least not in the short term, but how do you, tr how do you convert greedy humans into long-term thinkers? Yeah. Very good question. Look, <clears throat> I'm going to start by the last question. There is something fundamental that we need to change in finance. 90% of the information, or maybe even 99%, I don't know, uh, it doesn't matter, but of uh, the information in finance is related to price or is a derivative of price. Price, market cap, volatility, everything is linked to a price. But finance is human. It's entrepreneur that fight very hard to create more value in the world. Right? And arguably, if you look at the past thousand years, we have created more value as a consequence of collaborating together. Because again, finance is a tool of collaboration. That's it. It's uh, directing your time, which is the only unit that you have, to collective that is going to leverage this time to create more value, a better world. Right? <coughs> But that's not the information that we, by which we measure the success of uh, finance. We, we look at price every day, right? First thing that you do, and I, I do the same, let's be honest, right? So what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, I check, I check prices. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, we are overwhelmed by prices. Um, when you look at Twitter, for example, I think, so <clears throat> going back to the, to the work of what FinTech needs to focus on is to change the experience that people have with their investment and start by reinventing the way we are inspired to take action when we invest. Because the way we're inspired is by, by price. What the price of Bitcoin? We didn't say what achieved Bitcoin in the past uh, 10 years, right? We always say, do you think it's possible to think that way before you've made it? You were saying in the beginning, oh, I'm doing well how I did really well. And at, those, at that point, I can start to like have a real purpose, especially around that money, which is I want to back up tech entrepreneurs or that kind of entrepreneurs, because that's going to give me a better per, you know, sense of purpose. And I feel like I'm doing the right thing. But most people are not in that spot. Yeah. Look, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a journey. So it's not going to happen overnight. And, uh, and, and, and we use this example is you will come most probably if you if I lead you if I believe I'm going to convert people by saying Bitcoin is uh, is an insurance policy 
for the collapse of fiat currency, which is absolutely true. Mm. I think it shouldn't be an option for people to have Bitcoin these days because there is a non-null probability that the fiat system would collapse by itself, one way or another. So you should see that as an insurance policy. Do I want to pay an insurance for my car? No, but I'm still doing it in case uh, shit happens. But if you lead this way, it's very unlikely you're going to convert as much people as if you tell them, oh, you're going to buy a Ferrari if you invest in Bitcoin tomorrow. And it's fine, to be honest. But then if in the way you have uh, an infrastructure that helps them to reconnect of what is Bitcoin and they stay, they come for the money, but they stay with the philosophy, it's a big mm. win. So the first thing that we need to change is not necessarily too much, but it need, we need to change the discovery process by which we invest. <clears throat> because right now it's very much, I look at the chart, most of people don't understand and comprehend the chart. They don't even understand what the market cap is, which, you know, we end up in crazy evaluation that doesn't make sense. And it's, it's fine because people that just look at the price and that they're trying to figure out out of the price if it's good or not. The price is 10 cents. No, the price is one cent and it's going to go to a dollar. That's yeah, 100x. Exactly. That's it's going to go to one. <laughs> and it's going to go to Bitcoin price. You know, there was a narrative, I think that is still valid these days. And you can't blame people for that. That's, that's, the, that, that's difficult to understand all these very technical terms. But where there is a massive opportunity is to reinvent the way we discover investment. I think the guy that is the closest to change that, and it's very funny because when, um, even before Elon Musk made the move on Twitter, uh, in Danny, we had this, uh, this speech of saying, we need, you know, we need to go crazy with the app and change this price mechanism because that's not the good way. Uh, it's not that it's not the good way, but that's the biggest challenge that we have in front of us as a fintech. We can do it like everyone else and making just money, or we can really try to change the game. When you look at Twitter, and of course it's an isolated community, but I think uh, it is the closest to change the discovering process because I think the perfect UX experience to invest now is I listen to your podcast, I trust you. I go to your Twitter channel and you say, I met this project, I really love this project, and then there is a buy button. I don't even need to look at the chart. I mm. say, I trust this guy, identify to his value, what he's saying seems to be fine, I'm investing. And then I can look at much PNL I'm making. But the, the, my entry point is so much different by looking just at the chart. And, and that's the biggest challenge, I think, the investment world has in front of us, because now the, the, it's an open world. And, and I think as a result, it's going to create more, um, a different perspective when it's come to investment. Maybe we're going to try to invent different metrics for success and judging what is value that, create, uh, that investment create. And I guess the metaverse will play a massive role as well, because now imagine that instead of looking at the chart, you have your, you have your VR uh, Googles. And then the first time you want to interact or you want to inquire about investing into a project, you go to a room and you met virtually someone that tells you his experience with the project and, and tell you why invest in the first place. Because the discovery process of what, what finance is, and it's the most difficult for fintech to capture is, the, the decision of investing rarely happened in the app. It happened before. Mm. Discussion with your friends, looking at an article and etc. And rarely app inspire you to take action, you to take action. They inspire you to take action when you say, I have earned this much or this much. But they rarely inspire you to, to from no idea to get to an idea. And uh, there is plenty of uh, card on the table. And that's where the, the biggest challenge of the fintech is these days.
Yeah. So people want to hear a story, basically. Yeah. We 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 come from the be the best way is to tell a story. And and when you when you anchor to the story, it will help you to overcome the challenge of seeing the price dropping. And and then this is how you change your perspective. You see an opportunity now, and you completely detach you from the noise and sticking to what you believe is value, is your value. And so to change what you say, what 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 we discuss is it's it's imperative to help people to see value beyond the price. And what Bitcoin has been doing, right, as a ripple effect of uh, having a price that is you know, arguably the most asymmetric investment classes of all time, best investment of all time, what they do see as, as a collateral value is has created a generation of entrepreneurs, of free entrepreneurs that help to challenge the traditional model of Silicon Valley and all these things. And it's very good. And this in itself, even if Bitcoin has to die tomorrow, in itself has so much value. This is completing to another thing we talked about, which is the think big culture. Mm -hmm. That you really don't fake it into, until you make it culture and think big culture that you really don't believe in, basically. And you said something that was really interesting, which was, I mean, how should a founder start their business? You know, should you think super big or what should you do and it's going to be linked to like how people discover, you know, a project or buy something and kind of like reshaping their, their way of thinking around price and other way of discovering a project, right? You said you need to start with the smallest iteration that can help you create your community. I need to build a product to get my first community member. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Um, for me, the... The biggest engine of motivation for an entrepreneur or the, the spark come from frustration. You know, you, you have to create a product for yourself. It needs to start there uh, because you need to went through the journey, discover something about the world, about the statu quo that frustrates you and, 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 and create out of it something. Um, I think the worst business, and that's why, you know, the drop shipping and et cetera, and <laughs> I know it's, a, it's very successful. They sell you a methodology to make money. And to be honest, I, I, that's not entrepreneurship. It's uh, so not the not the fact of dropshipping yourself, but actually selling courses, right? That's what you're talking about. Not necessarily. Oh, you're saying courses, you're saying. But what I'm saying is, uh, if the spark of you being an entrepreneur is say, oh, I'm going to use all these tools to make money, but there is, it's completely disconnected from um, a frustration or something that you really it's making, making money for making money. Yeah. For example, yeah. if you, I don't know, if you start to to sell a microphone. But you have no connection whatsoever to microphone just because you see an opportunity. It might work, but most of the time, first of all, it's going to fail. It's funny you say that because we had Luca Nets, the mm -hmm. owner of Pudgy Penguin on the podcast, and he was saying how when he was 18, he was basically selling this fake gold chain through Instagram uh, influencers. So that's kind of, I mean, kind of, but just for the sake of making money. And he made like millions of dollars in like when he was 18, just doing that. And now he's much more into this thinking of like building something that's much bigger and that makes much more sense and kind of like joining the, um, the, the, the mindset. Look, the, the, I don't disregard that. I think it's uh, because I guess it's up to everyone to make their own decision and not being so easily played out. You know, yeah. a lot of people criticize the ICO time. ICO time was great. You invest money, you get wrecked. It was your own decision. Now you, you, you gatekeep everything oh, I need to go through. 
Because the worst thing that can happen is when you invest through a financial advisor and you delegate your decision, then you lose money and you blame him. Mm. It was still your decision intimately. To give him, yeah. So I'm very much aligned with uh, respecting people. When I respect people, I give them full power. But then it comes with the responsibility because I respect you. you know, I I'm not trying to babysite you. But yeah, playing a trick. I mean, of course, you're young and et cetera. But true entrepreneurship is trying to bring something to the world. It's trying to change something in the world. That's the way I define So you're trying to solve a problem, basically. Yeah. And so you don't know how big the problem is. That's the thing. And you don't know how much time it's going gonna, it's gonna to take for this problem to exist. But if you have the confidence, then you're going to go on the journey. But this journey should not be motivated on the first place by making a billion. A billion in itself is, I think we, we need to look at money as external, positiv external positivities from doing something great. It's so funny. I, was, I had a discussion yesterday evening with a friend of mine here in Dubai who is launching a kind of super app for kind of private conciergerie. And I was exactly saying that. I was exactly saying, he was like, yeah, why do you start this uh, business that you have? And oh, why do you start this podcast? Like you want to make money, right? And I was like, no, man. Like, I mean, obviously, yes, you need to be yeah, sustainable and profitable. But the drive is never, I was telling him, if the drive is the money, you will never, you will never last the journey and all the tough moments that you encounter. And because you don't have the kind of belief, you know, like you, whereas if you have this thing in your gut feeling or you're trying to solve a problem or kind of like you're basically working on a mission that makes a lot of sense to you, then in all these moments where it's shit, you know, and I remember Cyrus telling me about the bear market of 2018 and 19, and he was like, oh man, like, if you think about the great depression of uh, 1929, like, this is like 10 times like, and we're worse, and we're laughing about that, right? And it's really that, it's as simple as that. It's, yes, you need to build a profitable business and make money, but that's not the main drive. It cannot be, no. it cannot be. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying making money is wrong. I think it's great. And, um, but it, it should be, it should be more accepted that if you do something great and you, uh, and you learn all the technique of entrepreneur and you, you put everything into motion, it will come eventually. You look at Wim Hof, you know, it came with this very genuine mission of saying, I need to help people that struggle with traditional medicine to overcome the, the, the disease that they have or the mental health. And he, he didn't want, even want to monetize it. His kids apparently pushed him to do so. And it's fine. Again, it's, it's not bad to make money. But I think it's, it's not going to lead you where you want to be if you lead an idea with money. That's it. Because, yeah, I can, don't think it exists. Can you elaborate on the Wim Hof story? And then based on that, <laughs> talk about the, um, how crypto can accelerate a movement, right? Yeah and change people's mind? Because you said um, real innovation is when you change perception before we talked about that. And then we can move on to like, probably the last topic for today because it's soon time, <laughs> health. Yeah. Kind of like going down the rabbit hole of like traditional Western medicine versus yeah. what you learned when you went to India. Yeah. So, so Wim Hof. Wim Hof, yeah. Um, so we discussed that before uh, the podcast is um, <clears throat> sometimes you, you're trying to help someone to see an idea and it's difficult because you speak a technical language, there is barrier. So using great example, help, um, 
to overcome the limitation of language, let's say, uh, that someone can connect to what is the, the idea of the idea. Um, so I was, um, I was explaining um, to someone, again, that is doing a crypto startup, the, what is the beauty of crypto and how does it really shape a new wave of entrepreneurship and product adoption and you know, go-to-market strategy? And I say, look at Wimov. Wimov 10 years ago came to a thousand person. Let's, let's assume he, 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 collect, he, he gather a thousand person into the same space, show them an ice bath and say, you have to jump on it because it's going to help you with your health. You can bet that 99% of the person will say no. And maybe one person will, will, will say yes. Why? Because this person will be very much identify himself with Wimov. Most probably will have a, a trauma, uh, will have failed with traditional medicine, will have something that he really struggled to create. And because you identify um, yourself with this other person, then you follow him into his invitation to experience something new. Because the traditional thinking process will be to say, if I jump into a cold bath, I'm going to die. I'm going to have heart attack or hydrocution, you know, all mm -hmm. the, the things that traditional medicine will tell us. So actually we get the one person. Then the same one is, let's say, 80% similar to Wimov, 20% different. And then he met someone else. This 20% that is different from Wimov is going to inspire the other person and et cetera. And then you reach uh, global adoption with time, but it takes time. Right. 10 years in that case. 10 years, yeah. To, to, to I mean, it's still more, uh, it's more accepted, the cold bath yeah. thing, but like there's still probably a lot of people would say, ah, oh, maybe it's good, but I'll never do it. Yeah. Now, how crypto can change the game? You go back to 10 years, thousand person, one guy say, I'm going to jump. Then you say, for the one that I'm not convinced now, I'm going to give you tokens. So a whim of token. Yeah, the whim of token, whatever it is you're going to get something out of trying the experiences. Then most probably now you're going to, instead of one person, you're going to be 10 or 20. Because some people say, fuck yes, I want to try because now they're challenged, you know, and I want to earn something out of it. And even if they come for the greediness of earning something, maybe in the process of trying, they find something else. They learn something about themselves. Because maybe the guy starts to his drum, he starts to speak his voodoo stuff because he's very charismatic. That's the product, that's an entrepreneur. And then he brings these people into his world. So the beauty of crypto is now I don't need to pitch all new about the product. I can actually speak a language because everyone wants more money, everyone wants more fun, everyone wants to be challenged to do something crazy but don't want to do it for free. I can speak this world for a second, bring you to my world and this is where the, 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 world, the, the, the work of an entrepreneur starts is then I need to connect you to my world and, and help you to disconnect to why you come in the first place. And crypto create this. They, they can incentivize you. Of course, I, you can farm me and do the uh, farming that we see that is completely purposeless. But if you do that the right way, you can create an incentive and you can honor the people that try the first, right? They are very important. I think uh, what we say very often with Cyrus is say, uh, can you, you can remember what Uber is, uh, the taxi, you can remember they've done an IPO, but you cannot remember the first taxi driver that actually used Uber. But this guy was so useful, he is actually part of the reason why this guy was IPO, because they use massive this data. It's funny because when we did the interview with uh, Cyrus, 
we were not doing a lot of content and reels and short clips, but we did one and he was exactly talking about the Uber driver. I see. <laughs> we use this one. That you incentivize yeah. and as for being very early on there and like that is basically deserves to mm. share the success of the company that he contributed for in the beginning, right? Yeah. So back to basics. So so basically crypto accelerates the timeline. That's yeah. kind of like the yeah. Because it can away. hack a little bit the system yeah. of, oh, you speak my brain language, you're going to give me a token or something of a value I'm going to experience. And then that's a work of an entrepreneur. Now they act, they curb the, the time that is necessary for someone to accept an idea. You curb that. And if you have a true intent, a good product, you're going to convert much more. And then it helps to accelerate. Because sometimes, you know, look at some kid. When you are a kid, sometimes your parents force you to do some things. Right? Mm. And you do out of force, but you find something about yourself. Actually, you're grateful with time. So I think it's uh, it's uh, it's education for for adults. Crypto is help you to force yourself to do something to find this extra push, where actually you can find an outcome that is very pleasant. You talked about Wim Hof, who did an amazing work at changing people's mind and perception on health. Mm -hmm. And it's also a process you've been through, maybe not through ice bath, but you're saying you grew up in France. So the classic thing in the Western world in general is I have a headache or a physical pain or I'm sick. I go to the doctor, they give me some pills to treat the symptoms without ever thinking about the underlying causes, right? Mm -hmm. And you told me that you've been through this journey where you did that for a very long time. You had this very mechanical approach to your body and mind, and then you went to India. What happened there? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. So first, I, again, I guess there is key moments such as going to India where you create a space for yourself, where you, you start to reflect on what happened in your past. But the information is, is already there. So when I was a kid, my parents had a difficult relationship and I was always sick. Always had I mean, mm. flu stuff, constantly sick. So my mom always get me to the doctor. I was taking a lot of antibiotics. I was during the um, summertime where you're vacation. I was going to special center and stuff, and it was crazy, right? It was uh, the rhythm of my young child was uh, a lot of sickness. And it, there is an acceptance. They say, "Oh, this kid is sick. Mm. That's what it is. He's born like this." Uh, then you grew up, you're a teenager, you detach yourself, you emotionally detach yourself from the parent, less sick. Then you, you, you get out of home, doesn't have any sickness for, for a very long period of time. For seven years, I didn't even see a doctor at all, right? A little bit of flu, up, shot of ginger, back on, on business. Uh, and then I went to India. <clears throat> uh, it was very random because it was the, um, it was the end of the year. And uh, I said, how am I going to celebrate the New Year's Eve? And it was always the same, going out with friends, drinking alcohol, getting shit face, and, you know, <laughs> and hangover, party and stuff. And I said, okay, this year, I want to try something different. So I go to, um, I look at Bali and Thailand and all this place, and I don't find anything that inspired me. And then I remember... I don't know, all of a sudden I'm in my room in the night looking desperately to find a place where I can have yoga and stuff. And I remember this book that I read from a French author. Uh, and uh, it's a guy that um, 
work in New York is a lawyer uh, in finance. So uh, IPO lawyer and this stuff. He's making a lot of money. His, his father died and he created an emotional, uh, uh, I don't know, something. Response and trauma. Yeah, trauma in himself. And he said, actually, I'm not happy with my life. He quit everything and he goes to India in trouble for three months. Mm. So then he, in his book, it's called, uh, I can't remember, <laughs> but is uh, is just telling the story of he's staying in different ashram, which is, you know, this place where you have a guru and you meditate and stuff. And he's counting the different places. And there, there is one of uh, that is uh, that is telling about that is Osho, which is good, good mix between being very into your energy meditation and the night you party. You party. It's not like you party crazy, but there is this balance where they say you have to nurture the Buddha in yourself and the other part that is the most ecstatic self, which need to enjoy life as well in every every length of life. So I say, OK, that's that's this one is fun because I don't want to be in something that I don't speak for 20 days. I want to be in between. So I book my ticket to India and I get there. And then you, surprisingly enough, I met very successful people in the world. I met people that are uh, the most famous TV presenter in Belgium, uh, all these things. And, uh, and, and you connect with them and, uh, and it's, it's very interesting experience. And, and at the time I reflect and I say, uh, you think a lot about your childhood, of course, a bunch of things that who we are is very much influenced by our parents. And I realize is, and it's actually a little bit of duality is, uh, it's fine to blame your parents. It's fine uh, because you're angry and mm -hmm. you have all the right to be. And at the main time, and that's the kid, the kid is angry and he's all the right to be. And the adult is as well in understanding that they try their best. They do the best that they can. Right? And you need to accept that and you need to embrace that. And this duality helps you to manage better the relationship that you have with yourself and stop this, oh, my parents didn't give me that or that or that. And you overcome this challenge and you say, that's fine. That's, you know, there is a learning to make out of it. And what I did realize at this moment, I think, is actually the reason why my kids, the, the, I was as a kid very sick is because I was emotionally connected to the drama that was happening between my parents. Then it clicked in my mind and I say, <clears throat> actually, we have this very, I'm very mechanical relationship with my body, but my body is just a signal to indicate that something in my mind needs to be fixed, right? Mm. And uh, when you're an entrepreneur, it's, it's like being a very high uh, sports person. It's very physical. You're going to exhaust yourself. You work very hard. You can outwork yourself. And raising this awareness where your body tells you, okay, your mind tells you you, keep go you need to keep going, but your body tells you, actually, it's a win if you rest for a few hours or one day and you disconnect. Uh, this is very important, I think, to survive the, the entrepreneurship. There is many burnout into the... I never burn out, I'm lucky. Uh, but um, in the entrepreneurship story, there is so many burnout. We never talk about these things, but it happens very often. That's a good one. The, one of the previous guests I had, we talked about, he did three burnouts. Mm -hmm. And he was massively successful, money-wise and everything. So how can holistic medicine help? How does it work? Why does it work? I'm asking that because I don't know why, but I'm a massive believer too. I've been doing that for many years. Yeah. Biohacking, taking herbs. I even did the, I'm a Reiki master. Like I did all these things because I think like I had really bad health issues for three years. Mm -hmm. And the, 
the doctors didn't find anything and they actually didn't even care. They're like, oh, sorry, you have this syndrome. And then I went through like water fasts, nine days, biohacking, taking herbs, a lot of different things, eating, you know, paleo diet, everything to, to heal. And then it worked so well. I went all down the, the nootropics rabbit hole also, like how do you take, you know, mushrooms to kind of like become smarter and like more focused. Actually, I'm on nootropics right now. I have okay. to say every time before <laughs> podcast, okay. I take something that makes me like in the, in the flow, in the flow and in the zone. And I think it's absolutely amazing. Both to, to kind of recover from like really bad traumas or, you know, like regenerate neuroplasticity. If you had like bad accidents or, or if you feel amazing, how do you build an edge? to be like an even better entrepreneur. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what's that special about holistic medicine? <laughs> <laughs> Look, the doctor in you is going to answer. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't want to come across with a, a special recipe because I truly believe it's to everyone else to find a recipe. And I think everything is an artifact that actually uh, help you as a as a human to focus on part of, of yourself that give you what you need, but it's already there. You take a mushroom. It's not the mushroom that give you access to your special power. They are there. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's give you a rhythm that guide you inside to this power, but you can find everything from yourself. I truly believe there is a way for any human to unlock naturally all this power. It's just, it's more difficult, you know, and I believe that the mushrooms or even us as human, we, we carry an heritage, a legacy, and it's if for thousands of years people believe this mushroom can give me this access, you know, it's it's it, it, it vehiculates in everyone else, right? But it's there. Yeah, because all this stuff is thousands of years, like in, Chi in Ayurveda or Chinese medicine, it's 5,000 years that people have been using these non-traditional ways of healing themselves. And if it's been working, yeah. there's a reason, right? And... Um, so that you listen to Wim Hof, that you listen to, uh, maybe, maybe you know this guy, uh, Joy Dispenza. Yeah. I, I read this book, Superhuman. Or many, many other pe person, I think ultimately, they give different methodology that leads to the same, uh, that the same conclusion. There is this uh, mystical part of who we are as human. Joy Dispenza called that the, um, uh, the unified field, where we can connect and basically anything. So if you want, find a way for yourself to connect to this unified field, and, and the crazy thing is not woo-woo stuff anymore. This guy document, they have heavy scientists doing the research and they show so many amazing stuff and so many amazing results with this woo-woo stuff. But actually there is something that is beyond our own comprehension. Alan Watts, Alan Watts would say, we can feel it, but you, we can't not think about it because mm. we don't have the language. Mm. It's, it's there. It's, it's just we can't talk about it. We can't think about it, but it's there. And if you find any methodology to, to, to connect to it, I think you can accomplish health-wise amazing stuff. And even the CIA, right, has this uh, secret program that was called the Superhuman, and, and I tried these things. I think I heard, I never read this stuff, but I have friends that told me they read this book where the guy is actually crushing himself from a mountain and then He's thinking and he's recovering all his body, his bones, and it's crazy. Yeah. And one really interesting one is uh, in that category that a lot of people don't don't believe in is, and that I think is amazing is, for example, acupuncture. 
Mm. Like, I mean, some people will say, oh, it doesn't work on me. Maybe they've been one psychologist. You will go once, you go to the wrong one and you don't find the right person for you. But like literally by putting your needles in your meridians, like you can get a lot of help for anxiety, depression, uh, jet lag, stress, anything like, uh, I don't know, uh, hair loss, I think erectile dysfunction, all this stuff, like basically, which, and if you ask an acupuncturist, why does it work? They will not be able to answer, but it fucking works. Like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a needle addict. I do a lot of <laughs> acupuncture. It works. Like, yeah. so it's really amazing. But just to finish on that, it starts with the belief. If you have mental resistance, it's not your time. Mm. So I think uh, sometimes life as well gives you a very hard time, like your experience. But then you're in position of acceptance. And that's why we have to balance the way we say life or say, oh, it's so hard. Life is hard with me and etc. Maybe trying to teach you something. And, uh, and, and the, the less you listen, the harder they will try to teach you. <laughs> that's how life uh, functions. Yeah, if you don't, basically the pain is not big enough. Yeah. And when the pain, will be big en- the pain will be big enough, you will do changes and kind of accept more things and try more things out. want you to notice, yeah. You said that some people close to you had cancers and went on this kind of like holistic journey, maybe even more, kind of even a bit uh, deeper with the use of uh, psychedelics, yeah. shaman, and they feel much better or it helped them cure. You want to develop on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's not my experience, so it's it's what I witness. But the amazing stuff is uh, they try very hard with traditional medicine. Maybe it's not for them. I'm not saying uh, again it's uh, it's it's uh, it's the solution to every miracle. But then they come. They went to a stage where they say, "I need to try something else," uh, because ultimately, I'm keep give him up on my power of decision. I'm I'm trusting a doctor to solve my problem and and. I went to an operation uh, two years ago and, and I think when you are, of course, you're in a very vulnerable position, but I was keep telling myself if at any moment of the process, you don't feel it quit because you can't say to the doctor, that's your responsibility. That's yours to feel uh, in agreement into you should never surrender this uh, responsibility that you have with yourself to trust the process. This is your responsibility, not the doctor. The doctor is a facilitator, but ultimately it needs to be your decision. If there is any moment you don't feel it's the right thing to do, you have to, to find something else. But the, <clears throat> the, the result that we see with these people that have cancer and went to a more uh, alternative medicine is completely reminiscence. So something clicked, something happened. Again, we, we have a very hard time to explain. We have speculation. Everything is speculation in the world. We, we can't even explain what's the origin of our creation. We cannot explain why you're here, how we came to it. We have all speculation. So from this moment, I come from a scientific background. So from a long time, I say, if you can't prove it, it mm-hmm. doesn't exist. And then I felt that not only it didn't make me happy, and it was wrong because we can't explain the origin of the creation of human earth, nothing, we have, we have theory, but they can't be for fact, they can't be for sure. So everything else is speculation. So if you find something that helps you to unlock something that gives you um, a, a reminiscence or truly change, you have to embrace it. It's not, it's true. I feel like there is more acceptance, but it's still, yeah, pointed out that's something bad. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really great way to end today's conversation, which is you need to take responsibility mm -hmm. for your current health, your current situations. You cannot outsource your health or your finances to someone else because no. not only, for example, in finance, they might have different incentives that are not aligned to, aligned to yours. And that could be the, you know, we could go down the rabbit hole of like how this works, but we're not going to go there today. But even the health one, they have a, very, for example, a doctor will have a very limited time to see you, 10 minutes, and then like they need to make a decision because there's an entire system and even the entire system, like the financial system might be kind of not in your favor, which is what happened to me. You give me a medicine that's actually destroying me completely mm -hmm. instead of helping me out, right? So you can't outsource anything. You are the person who is responsible for yourself. And if you don't understand that, you're going to have a real hard time in your life. And obviously you can't control most of the things that happen, but like the things you can control, you want to take control of and yeah. take responsibility because that's what's going to make the difference between you and you being free basically. And uh, most of the other people who are questioning themselves and who are the you when you were in London uh, after 10 years in traditional finance. Yeah. And, and there's a period of time where you lost and you feel a victim and it's fine. Uh, when I listen to the, video or motivation video sometimes is, I feel it's, it's, it still sounds too binary. Mm. We need to accept there is period in between. I truly believe you should never feel victim, but there is a journey to get there because that's not what society, that's not what programmation and education teach you. There is always an external responsibility. There is law where I completely forget about the moral code that exists between men, right? Um, <clears throat> and women, obviously, but, um, there is a process to inverse the, the, the curve of programmation. And it's fine. If you're in between, if you have still resistance, oh, these guys say you shouldn't be a victim, but look at my life. Uh, it doesn't know what my life is about. It's okay. It takes time to, to get to this stage. But yeah, we should, by definition, you should aim for, we should, we should change of saying, by saying you shouldn't feel a victim, to, you should aim to be at a place that one day you don't feel as a victim because it would, the, your life would start. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Thank that you, was amazing. Man. It was a pleasure. Thank you, man. <laughs> Good stuff. Yes.